teachers and principals need to have a learning mindset because we're in an ever-changing environment. The research is continually being updated and improved and new things are coming on board. You never get there. It's a continuous process. I mean, it's not just the students who go to school to learn. Teachers and school leaders are all part of the learning process. Hello, my name is Maxine McHugh. Welcome to a University of Melbourne podcast on the new world of work, a series about the future and the skills and outlook needed to make the most of it. Today we look at teachers with the agility to keep learning. Australia is known for its strong educational results. We continue to attract international students who want a high school experience here ahead of entry into our universities. But there are some red lights flashing. Since 2000, our performance in the key areas of maths, science and reading has been trending down. And that's happening among our best students, the individuals we expect to be the creators and producers of the future. So how do we improve and how can we support our teachers in shaping the next generation? I'm joined today by Michael Muscat and Grace Wong, whose participation in the landmark documentary series Revolution School, screened last year on the ABC, shed a real light on the complexity of schooling and the multiple challenges faced every day by teachers. So, Michael, Grace, welcome to this podcast. Hello. Good to be here. Now, Michael, you were principal at Cambria College, and Grace, you're still at Cambria as a senior maths teacher. So let's start our discussion on what must have been an extraordinary experience at the school, having cameras embedded in classrooms in all sorts of areas across the whole year. Michael, what was it like with that kind of spotlight? Look, it was a lot of fun. Um, and it, it was exhilarating uh, and challenging all at the same time because we really felt that we had the spotlight on us every day yep. for 12 months um, to a very high degree, you know. And it was um, going out to a national audience. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a little bit of uh, living on tenderhooks for the whole year. Um, but, look, it, it tended to bring the best out of people and the best out of the organisation. Grace, what did you what did you feel? Because again, too, I would have thought cameras on a group of teenagers yeah. who are going through a lot of emotional turb- turbulence yeah, in their life. Yeah. Any anyway, what yeah. what was that like? Um, 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 what was the effect on them? Um, I can still remember a few of my students. They were like look into the camera and say, "Mom, I'm on the TV. <laughs> I'm on the TV." But after a while, they get used to what happened with the cameras and stuff. So they were like, yeah, back to normal classes, normal classroom. And Michael, what feedback did you get? We got a a tremendous uh, amount of positive feedback from all quarters, you know, across the nation. Uh, People made the effort to contact the school and say thank you and well done and thank you for being so brave, and we were brave, for finally getting to show the Australian community how challenging and how complex the work of teachers really is. Because mm. as we know, teachers often don't get the, the respect and they don't have the status mm. that I, th- I think they deserve. But what we saw in that series was the lengths to which so many teachers would go to hang in there with students who in some cases were goofing off or were really not with the, well, not with the program. <laughs> yeah, very true. And that, that is very true, I'm sure, of, of all schools. Uh, in the nation uh, where 
teachers just stretch to the nth degree um, and really uh, put a great deal of care into their work and uh, invest a lot of themselves into their work. Grace, how did teachers feel about uh, about the series and about the filming? I think they feel like um, it's their story as they watch it because that's what happened in our lives, teachers' lives, like every day, like challenging students, um, trying to keep students on track, to motivate them and be passionate about what they're teaching every day. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good series in like sh- the transparency showing um, the world or Australia, like what teachers should be. I'm wondering if you got any feedback to the effect that, wow, look, I, I really didn't quite realise just how hard teachers work. You know, you're not clocking off at 3.30. No, definitely not clocking off at 3.30 because, like, the lesson plans that we need to, like, you know, put in and if you can remember, like, the videos that I've made um, over the... Um, the Revolution School series, like those are like, you know, after work, after work, yeah. Let me um, go to a couple of the, I suppose, a couple of the things that were explored um, throughout the series. And one, of course, Michael, was the the very strong relationship between Cambria College and the Melbourne Graduate School of Education. And that happens in a number of ways, through the network of schools, but also through um, the the Master of Teaching graduates, um, many of whom have been recruited by uh, yeah. Cambria. So just talk to us about that. It's It's been one of my frustrations right through my teaching career that the quality of teacher education has not been up to standard. And I have been so impressed uh, with the work that's being done uh, by the Melbourne Graduate School of Education now in preparing teachers to hit the ground running when they start mm. on their careers. Um, I think that the the intensity of the program and the the high expectations and the, the amount of time they're spending in the school with hands-on training... Is that the critical thing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And look, mm. Gracie, uh, you know... Is a, is a prime example, um, and it was very intense, yep, no doubt. It was. But you had you you saw how you could. Yes, it is challenging, but there's plenty of support around you. Yeah. Um, and that's provided both by the Melbourne Graduate School of Education by the the staff member who's employed to yep. specifically to to be yeah. a support person. Mm. And of course, by all your colleagues at the school. Yeah, Michael, what's been your experience then with uh, beginning teachers because we know the data tells us that retention is a real problem. Often we're putting putting graduates into schools and within three or five years, they're gone. Yeah. Well, look, there's no doubt that no matter how well prepared you are, your first year of teaching is going to be tough. Yeah. There's there's no way around that because it is exhausting. You're being tested, your your emotions are being dragged, your um, you know, you're just being your physical energy levels, the whole I imagine. Thing. <laughs> Five days a week, you know, full on. And work. I guess I guess some kids would be trying you on too, wouldn't they? But of yeah. course they do. You know, and they're testing you out and uh, you know, you are a work in progress. You are developing. Yep. So the great thing about the the Graduate School of Education is that it prepares teachers better to be able to cope with those challenges yep. and then give you a way better chance of retain, staying in the, in, in the profession. Mm. Um, so that's it. But it is, it is tough. Teaching is, is not, 
is not a gimme. It is not a. It's not something you fall back into yep. as 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 an, a soft option. It is mm. a tough profession, mm. but it can be one of the best yeah. and rewarding. Did all of those supports then help make your first year a bit less daunting than it might have been? Yes, it was a bit um, less daunting. As you can see, there's cameras in my classroom on my first year. It was less daunting in a sense where like, you know where you stand and you know like, you, you have a bank of things that you can use. It's just that you need to make up your mind which one you want to use and which one you want to be expert in it, yeah, or you want to refine in your teaching. Michael, you mentioned just a minute ago, though, that your concern is about the variability of a lot of Australian teacher training. First of all, do you think we are getting to the point, though, that we are lifting the bar on that? I would say, yes, finally, we are beginning to head in the right direction. Uh, It's been a long time coming. Um, It means that we have a lot of unprepared teachers in the system, unfortunately. That's a dreadful comment, isn't it? Because at stake is thousands and thousands of students and their preparedness for, as we're saying in this series, a very different work world. That's the reality. And it is cross-sector. So um, that's the challenge we have um, as principals in schools, to build the capacity of our teachers, always. It's probably our number one job, constantly building the capacity of our teachers to become better at their craft. Let's talk a little bit about different classroom approaches that you try at Cambrai, because as you know, the Master of Teaching program um, centres on the application of what's called clinical intervention practice. What does that look like at Cambrai? For example, we look into research and studies on how to differentiate more effectively in a classroom. As we know, in our classroom of 25, all of the students, they learn differently. We can't just say, all right, students, take out your textbook and turn to page 41 and do question 1 to 10. You can't have 100% learning happening in that classroom with just one sort of intervention. So you might have students who are like more um, hands-on, and as you know, like kids nowadays, they're like with ICT, they're like really good with ICT. So and now we have been pushing, you know, watching videos on like learning this concept or using like numeracy software, like they play interactive games as they learn or like they um, group into um, small groups. So there's one more knowledgeable other to teach to other peers. So there's so many things, interventions happening in a classroom where we want to, like what Michael has said before, to push um, great outcomes, great learning outcomes. Yeah. So the task for you every day really is to find the hook yes. that will interest that particular student yes. and then set work that will challenge them to go a bit further. Correct. Yeah. 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 And imagine if a teacher have four to five maths classes you, de- you need a lot of like individual lesson planning for like each student and you need to think how do I sustain like you know like using this strategy over this term like to help the student to learn and as a third year out teacher I still struggle like with all this like 
um, individual learning plan and differentiation. Yeah. Yeah. But it must be great when you see a student who probably thinks they're only average and they're doing a bit better than yes, that. Yes, yes. I remember I, the teachers that I remember well are those ones who thought that I was a bit smarter than I thought I was. Yeah. Michael, what about you? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a debate running at the moment, and, and this is particularly pertinent to, as I say, this series about the future of work, and that is that perhaps there are limits now to what content knowledge is pushed in high schools, with perhaps um, there needing to be a greater emphasis on skills development. Michael, where do you, where do you fall down on oh, this one? Oh, totally agree. Um, you know, uh, we, we, we're we all in the same boat because we don't exactly know what the future is going to be. The best we can do is to is to develop uh, young young folk who, who can be independent learners, who can... Uh, collaborate effectively with others who've got strong reading skills because it underpins so much of learning, who are interculturally aware, who are good problem solvers. I mean, we're going into an unknown future because change is so rapid. Uh, If we can build those capabilities and skills, you know, knowledge, we're awash with knowledge. Uh, That's not the problem. We can access that. So they're the sorts of skills we need to really focus on in our teaching now. Linked to that, there was, I thought, a fascinating and, again, very brave uh, segment that was screened in, in Revolution School. And that was the exercise where a particular teacher um, was confronted with the amount of teacher talk time she was doing in the classroom and then, over time, pulled that back to the point where she was doing more listening waiting longer for the responses from students. Grace, what about you? How do you? Uh, how are you conscious about this? You know, um, I was part of the program with John Hattie and his wife with the teacher talk. Yeah. I was 80%. <laughs> so I wasn't that <laughs> great too. So how have you adjusted your practice? Um, so what I did is change in lesson plan and even just to like, listen to like student feedback because like I will ask them for feedback you know how can Miss Wong do better in her teaching do you think you can learn better in certain ways like working on worksheets or like you know how do you learn better so getting their feedback actually helped me restructure my lesson plan you know I was taught in back in Asian countries so back in Brunei we were our teaching style is like our teacher would talk to us for like the whole time and we just write notes and so on and so on so it's very different like whatever I like you know been taught in Brunei it's so different with this Australian classroom at first I was like whoa culture shock you know (laughs) I need to adapt so what you seem to be describing as an ideal environment is is a school where everyone's learning absolutely Maxine Um, I was thinking you know teachers and principals uh, need to have a learning mindset um, because we're in an ever-changing environment. The research is continually being updated and improved and new things are coming on board. And just as a school needs, to, uh, a principal needs to be uh, focused on ongoing school improvement, It never, you never get there. It's a continuous process and it, it keeps you vibrant, it keeps you on your toes and it, cre- it helps to create that learning community. Mm. I mean, it's not just the students who go to school to learn. 
teachers and school leaders are all part of the learning process. Let me just bring this um, discussion to, to a conclusion, though, by looking at the question of leadership, because more and more this is, I think, a very important focus. Mm. Michael, I remember you saying, because you were at the school for a long time and you saw that journey and you were part of it and you led it, um, but you made an interesting observation to me about um, the problems of perhaps doing too much. Just explain that. What did you learn? You can create institutional confusion and incoherence by trying to do too much and not sticking with with things for, for very long. You know, you might try something for one year and say, oh, yeah, that was good, and then it's quietly forgotten about and you jump onto something, another bandwagon. doesn't work. Look, get down to the basics, get them done really well and do them one at a time. When the opportunity came through the Melbourne Uni Network of Schools and one of the focus groups was on independent reading, which was led by Diane Snowball, and we thought, this is for us. This is what we need. Uh, Our students are just not reading enough. And Diane uh, presented some very compelling arguments for a focus on reading. What we did was we set up mini libraries in every classroom from years seven to ten or yeah, nine. Yeah, ten. And every uh, English lesson began with with a period of reading, uh, ten minutes, ten minutes of yeah. silent reading. And during that time, there would be um, uh, individual conferences, reading conferences with students. By you know, we had three trained uh, professionals to conduct these conferences to assess the level of comprehension, to assess the level of enjoyment and uh, whether it was an appropriate read for them. The first indicator that we had from our librarian was something like uh, a 75% increase in the volume of borrowing. Borrowing. We thought, well, that's got to be positive. (laughs) But the great thing is, two years on, when the uh, NAP plan results came out in 2017, the school showed outstanding growth mm. in reading and writing. And even numeracy too. And numeracy. So mm. we have bucked the trend. Is that replicable, what you Absolutely. did at Cambria? So is the whole story of the turnaround that's taken place at Cambria College. We turned around a very low-performing school to one of the higher performing schools in all areas across the state of Victoria. Are we doing enough to build an emerging cohort of effective, proficient leaders, do you think? The evidence still isn't there. When when leadership positions are advertised, uh, the numbers and the quality of applicants is still not there. And this is, it perplexes me. Uh, I don't, I don't really get it, but I'd love to see uh, I'd love to see more of the brightest and the best put up their hands for leadership because leaders can either breathe oxygen into a school and enable and energize a school, or they can do the opposite. They can suck the the, the oxygen out of a place and stifle it, or they can let it go into cruise mode. I think that the the principal plays a pivotal role. And it's so important to get the right people in those positions. Grace, what about you? Would you aspire to be a principal? Um, maybe, but um, I always want to be a behaviour management leader. 
you know, I have this passion in, like, you know, connecting with students and helping them to get back on track in their lives. So that's what I aspire to to become. But I really, um, really agree with what Michael has said. Like teachers, we can't be complacent. If we decide to be complacent, then how do we preach what we teach to our kids? Like we ask them, we ask them to learn and to give us like you know good outcomes. But on the other hand, teachers, we are not really learning ourselves. We are not challenging ourselves enough. How can we connect with them and teach them the methods you know that suit them the, the best? Yeah. In line with that, I, I spotted a, a quote from uh, Lisa Rogers recently. She's the new CEO of uh, AITSL, the Australian Institute of Teaching and School Leadership. And she said that she said, when you send your children to an Australian school, effective teaching should be a certainty, not a lottery. We're heading in the right direction. We're doing, a, there's so many positive things going on. But the reality is we've got a way to go. The regions are depleted. Special efforts need to be made to to encourage some of the brightest and the best back into the regions uh, to to, uh, to to lift the, st- the standard of what's going on out there and uh, across the board uh, across the system uh, more work needs to be done it is it is a work before us it is the challenge we face. Mm. Michael Musket, Grace Wong, thanks very much for participating in this podcast. Mm. It's a pleasure. You've been listening to a University of Melbourne discussion between Michael Muscat, Grace Wong and myself, Maxine McHugh. In the changing world of work, the Melbourne model is preparing students for the future beyond their degree. To find out more, visit unimelb.edu.au and look for Melbourne Talent. <laughs>